Hey, good morning, church, and happy Sunday to you, and happy Pentecost. Pentecost was an important time in Acts chapter 2. It was a feast of the Jews, and it was that feast in which God chose to give His Holy Spirit to the young church so that they could go out into the world and begin transforming deserts into gardens. It was a wonderful time. Peter and the other apostles and the disciples with them start to speak in tongues, and others who are in town for the feast hear them and ask what's going on. Peter preaches about Jesus. People are touched in their hearts. They repent. They're baptized. They receive the Holy Spirit too, and God's church begins to grow. This begins to take over in ways they probably couldn't have seen or imagined, like African eunuchs who weren't allowed to worship in the temple begin to be allowed into Christian worship with Jews who just a few days before would not have worshipped together with them. Gentiles and Jews, they never pictured a time when they would worship together, but now they do. Men and women both being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, prophesying, having speaking gifts, having serving gifts. It's just a, a wonderful new time for God's church in the world because He gave the Holy Spirit. And today is the day that that holiday takes place. So we, we remember it and we think about it. And I want to invite you to take out a piece of paper today along with your Bibles and prepare to think about the Holy Spirit with me because we have an opportunity today to think about, listen to, what might the Spirit of God be doing in our world now? What wastelands would God transform into gardens? We're going to start in the book of John, chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. If you would like to read with me, I would love that. So let's start there today. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood. Now, the feast that Jesus is at in John chapter 7 is not Pentecost. It's the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. Jesus is about to prophesy that the Holy Spirit is coming later. And at the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, which, by the way, is one of the coolest of all the Jewish feasts, they would make these little wilderness shelters out of branches from trees and live in them for a week. It's kind of like camping. You can imagine being out in the wilderness with your bushcrafting knife and your little axe, making a little lean-to hut out of some branches and spreading little uh, pieces of pine on the ground, getting all those needles and a big fluffy pile so that you could sleep warm and dry at night. They, they build a little wilderness shelter. I always think this feast would be great fun to be part of. And they do it to commemorate when they were in the wilderness being led by God and he led them to water. They needed water so badly. So at the feast, Jesus stands up to say something and he's doing it in the middle of the last and greatest day of the feast. Now at this feast, once every day, there would be a parade where they would go down to a spring of water and bring water back up to the temple. And along the way, they would sing psalms and they'd read quotations from Isaiah and the other prophets about how God would transform the wastelands and the wilderness into gardens again. And they would go up to the altar and they would pour out and offer this water. And then the parade would do that once every day until the last day of the feast, they would do it seven times. And it's on that day that Jesus stands up and he says this. Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So Jesus, in the middle of this great festival, says, this is all about me. I am the one who provides the drink. God led you to water in the wilderness. I lead you to water now. So let anyone come to me and drink. This is not Jesus setting up 
a food truck that sells lemonade at the festival. This is Jesus interrupting the actual worship service that is the point of the entire festival and saying, no, 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 this is actually all about me. So let anybody come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So Jesus gives this great promise. You come to me, your thirst will be quenched, what, what you're thirsty for, but also water will flow from within you and out to the world to be a blessing to others. Now there are a lot of great things going on in this little saying of Jesus that tie to the Bible backwards and forwards, all these threads and themes coming together. But there's a big question. Why does Jesus say, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them? Because as far as we can tell, there is no verse anywhere in the Bible that says that uh, through all the Hebrew Bible. And you can look, you can go Google this or whatever, but we can't find a verse that says exactly that. Instead, it's a theme of scripture. It's like all the scripture story is about this. There's a wilderness in Genesis 1. God transforms it into a beautiful lush garden. Um, later, the people of God are described as trees that root themselves by streams of living water. And there they blossom, they take root, and they flourish. Uh, Psalm 1. Or in Isaiah, when he prophesies in 58 about how the wastelands will be turned into gardens. The people of God, in other words, will receive the Spirit of God and be transformed. But one of my favorites is Ezekiel chapter 47, in which there is another vision of the temple and water flowing out of the temple. So here's Jesus standing up probably on the steps of the temple where the water sacrifice is being made and poured out. And he says, come to me and drink. And like scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from out of you. And Ezekiel 47 is just a fantastic picture of what Jesus might be talking about. So let's take a look over there for a minute. Uh, if, if you want to join me, Ezekiel 47, and I'm going to start in verse 7, but I'll describe verses 1 through 6. In this prophecy, Ezekiel, who is preaching to people in exile, who are in, in the desert, they're in the wasteland, both literally and spiritually, I mean, this is a picture or a figure of how they are as a nation right now. They've been driven away from the temple. They've been driven away from their homeland. They're spiritually in the wilderness. This is a dry time for them. And Ezekiel prophesies about this vision of this new, fantastic, massive temple uh, that has never been built in history because this is an apocalyptic vision where by apocalyptic, I mean Ezekiel sees the world as it is, but he sees the true world in the spiritual realms and what God is doing to transform this world behind it. So it's like he's seeing both at the same time. And Ezekiel gives this vision of the temple where the river is flowing out from underneath the temple and it's flowing east. And in the vision, uh, the angel takes Ezekiel for this long stretch of river that's ankle deep and then a long stretch that's knee deep and then a long stretch that's so deep you'd have to swim in it. You can't walk across it any longer. And this is as if to say this spirit of God that's flowing from out of the temple, this refreshing river of water is just growing and increasing in the world and bringing healing everywhere it goes. And I want to pick up in verse 7 uh, and share with you the scripture. Join me if you'd like. 
When I was there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is in the land of Israel. And you maybe have seen pictures of it online. It's so full of salt and minerals that people can float in it without aid of flotation devices. Nothing can live there, nothing can grow there. This would be a great moment to, to pause the video for a minute. Uh, if you would like to, there's a couple things that you could do. One is you could look up pictures of the Dead Sea and just look at it as a visual, think about, contemplate, talk about how lifeless it is and how strange it is that there's this body of water so full of salt that you can float in it. And maybe take a minute to just look at that picture and think about how much water would it take to transform that? How much fresh water would have to flow into that and through it and flush it out? And how long would that have to happen for fish to come back and trees to grow, trees that are going to give so much fruit like we're about to read about it? Fishermen can spread their nets all along the shore of this. It's an incredible thought. And this is a great opportunity for you to just fix that picture in your mind of what it would mean for the temple to be streaming forth water to transform that. So go ahead if you would like, pause the video, and I'll be here in just a moment when you come back. Okay, so welcome back. I hope that you enjoyed taking a look at the Dead Sea and thinking about how very dead it is. I mean, it is dead, dead, dead. Nothing can grow there. Stuff isn't living in there. Uh, it's a crazy place. What a transformation it would be if that was to be changed into a sea like the one described in this vision. Let me continue. When the river empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglayim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. So in this vision, there's even some salty swamps that are left. But because God is giving bountiful blessing to his people, fish to eat, fruit to eat, and salt to season it with, everything is coming from God, an overabundance of blessing. This really reminds us of Genesis 1 when there's swarms of animals. Every time God creates fish or birds, there's just swarms of them. And that kind of life, abundant life, is coming back to the Dead Sea. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. What a magnificent promise to the people of Israel. It is an Eden-esque picture. It's as if God is saying, Someday I will make all things right like they were in the beginning, where the fruit and the food will be available and the people will be healed. This is a great promise for Israel. And yet, this promise is going to extend to all people in a way that maybe Israel couldn't even have imagined. Sometimes, 
we think about the healing that we need before we think about the healing that the world needs. The people of Israel receiving this vision, they're in exile, kind of like us, they're in a time of some confusion and they're tired. We're tired right now. I mean, we're tired of being in the middle of pandemic, aren't we? We're tired from living in a world where everything becomes political even when we don't mean it to. We're tired of living in a world where there is racial issues all of the time, where our black and brown friends and brothers and sisters in Christ experience fear in the world. We're tired of this. I'm tired of preaching to cell phone cameras instead of being with you. I came to this church to, to be with people and, and to help people encounter Scripture and to find Jesus in Scripture and to have those moments together. I didn't come here to talk to my cell phone. My cell phone is right there on a tripod right now. I came here to be with people and it takes this extra effort to remember that you're just on the other side of that cell phone on Sunday morning, three days from now. I'm sitting here looking at it by myself. I'm, I'm tired of this. We're tired of a lot of things right now. And sometimes, like these Israelites, we need to hear this promise that God has healing and restoration for us. Then he gives us an opportunity to have an even greater imagination to see what Jesus said. That when you come to me because you're thirsty and you drink, I'll let streams of water flow from out of your belly so that you become the temple of this vision with Jesus. That we become the temple of God who releases a river of blessing to the world. And this is what we might pray for together this morning. In fact, I want to offer you another opportunity to pause the video and on a card or a sheet of paper, write down the Holy Spirit and then around it, maybe to take some notes of the kinds of blessings you've seen the Spirit giving in this vision. What has He been doing? What has He been transforming? How has He been blessing the people? And as we move through the rest of this morning, you could, if you want, write down other blessings that the Holy Spirit can give how He transforms wastelands into gardens, how He transforms death into life. There are beautiful promises of God. And I know that I need to look at them and think about them and pray about them. I know that when I look away from them, I start to forget about them. But when I look at them again and pray about them, God refreshes my spirit and He gives me hope. I wonder what you uh, would pray about if you were to pray for the Spirit to do this kind of work among us. Take a moment, if you will, pause the video and write down some of those prayers. Maybe pray over a couple of them together. Share them as a family. Or write some of them down, uh, and even if you're by yourself this morning, pray them through this week. And when you interact, text, talk, or message with somebody, uh, see what God does. See how He's answering them. Go ahead, take a moment if you'd like, pause the video, and I'll be right here. I hope that thinking about what the Holy Spirit might do is encouraging to you. Because right now we live in a world that in many ways is a desert. It needs the transformation of God. How would we answer these questions? What is it that needs healing today? Where is the Holy Spirit needed today? Who is it that is thirsty 
Who is it that is salty? Where do we hope to see a miracle today? Where do we want to see God's transformation today? Where is it needed in our world, in our society, in our home, in our hearts? What would be the prayers that we would ask that God would answer? I would pray and I would ask that the church of God coming out of this time of pandemic and quarantine would be so full of a double portion of God's spirit that we would be, as the church, the people that would first come to mind when others in the world think about refreshing, think about hope, think about people who are there for them in love. I would hope that our black and brown brothers and sisters, when they think about the church of God, would think about the place where they are loved, understood, heard, and listened to at all times. I would hope that people on the other side of the political spectrum from me and from, from any of us might think about us as the people they like to interact with because we are refreshing and hopeful, even if we disagree about policies or how things should work in the world. I would hope that for children that are in unhappy homes and for spouses in unhappy marriages, that they would encounter the Holy Spirit of God through the church of God in such a way that there would always be that hope, that vision that someday, somehow, God can take these deserts and turn them into gardens, that he can cause life to grow out of death, that he's a God of resurrection, like he says, that the end of any person's story is not the end of their story, that God is a God of resurrection. We know that John, the friend of Jesus, his disciple, was thinking this way, because years later, after he heard Jesus say at the feast, come to me and drink, John is alone. John is uh, on the island of Patmos by himself in exile, maybe in a jail cell, maybe under house arrest, but he's alone there. And on some Sunday, he is worshiping when he's caught up in the Spirit. Maybe it was Pentecost Sunday. That would be a neat twist. We don't know, but it was on a Sunday. He's caught up in the Holy Spirit somehow. And he sees this vision, an apocalyptic vision, kind of like Ezekiel saw where the world as we know it is here in the foreground, but behind it are all of these spiritual realities and the conflicts going on in the spiritual realm. The fight that's going on for the souls of men and for hope and for life and for creation and for redemption and for reconciliation. Everything that God and the Lamb are for. He sees this vision of it as if it's just on the other side as if it's so close you could almost touch it, as if you reached out your hand, you might feel it. A powerful vision that we call the book of Revelation. And in chapter 22 of this vision, after God has dealt with sin and death and the devil and forever ended their reign and their tyranny, after God has brought the new heavens and the new earth together and the holy city Jerusalem is coming down to earth where God will live with men, after all of this, John, sees in his vision the river of the water of life. Revelation 22.1. As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is so obviously 
John reflecting on Ezekiel 47 through the lens of Jesus saying, Come to me if you're thirsty. I will give you living water. I will cause it to flow from within you. He sees this vision of the river flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. This time he doesn't see it coming out of the temple like Ezekiel did, because as the vision describes, God and the Lamb are the temple. And this river flows down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, the tree that in Eden we were pushed away from, thrown out of the garden to get us away from this tree of life. The tree, its fruit heals. And now this tree is not just present, it is multiplied so that the tree of life is growing down both sides of the river. Many trees of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for healing. Just like in Ezekiel's vision, the leaves are for healing. But now John says they're for the healing of the nations. Ezekiel's vision started the people by saying the leaves of the tree are for healing. And the question we might hear is, what do you need healed from? What do you come to Jesus? Why are you coming to him thirsty? What do you need healed of? But now John says the fruit is for the healing of the nations. The tree heals all of the people throughout the world. Black and white healed. Political divide healed. Family problems healed. Mental problems, physical problems, emotional problems, healed, healed, healed. No more dying, no more pain. All the nations healed. No longer is there any curse. What a great vision. And in verse 17, John says that the Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit is noticeably silent in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have much of a speaking ministry. He uses people for speaking ministries. So even though the Spirit leads and guides and directs and prods and prompts and convicts, the Holy Spirit in Scripture doesn't often speak words out loud and audibly, but now the Holy Spirit does. And now the Holy Spirit and the Bride of Christ, which is the church, the people, you and me, they speak together with a voice, come. So where John heard in history Jesus say, come to me if you're thirsty, now the Holy Spirit speaks and the bride, the church speaks too. Living water is flowing from out of the church to heal the nations. The invitation is come and let the one who hears say come. So if, if you hear and you respond, then you are also invited to join the Spirit and the bride in the chorus of come. If you're thirsty, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The Spirit and the bride say, come. What Jesus promised is coming true. What Jesus foresaw, what Ezekiel foresaw, is happening now in history and beyond it through the church of God. If we are in tune with the Spirit, full of the Spirit, the Spirit flowing out of us, the Spirit healing the nations, the Spirit helping us to pray prayers we never thought we were capable of praying, to forgive our enemies, to love our enemies, to pray for the people who are most unlike us, 
to pray for people who are hurting and suffering, even though it's so easy for us to just turn our eye away. We get so tired of seeing the news, and yet the Spirit would prompt us to open our eyes, to look at the suffering in the world, to listen to the stories of those who are hurting, and with compassion, kindness, grace, patience to say, come, there's healing. God loves you. I love you. The Holy Spirit says, come. Notice that it's the Spirit who speaks first. The bride speaks with the Spirit. Think about what that means. When we share the hope of the good news of Jesus with somebody, we're not the only speaker. When you invite somebody, come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is speaking too. What a great partner in this mission. What a great Holy Spirit who turns deserts into gardens, wastelands into parklands, the Spirit who takes death and turns it into life. Join me this week in praying for this Holy Spirit to infuse His church to be this kind of people who trust and rely on Him for transformation for ourselves, for our church, for our neighborhood, and for the world. We know that God can do it, that He will do it, that He wants to do it, and that one day we'll see that it has all come true. God bless you. Be at peace. Amen.